I want you to imagine you have been invited to speak. You're the keynote speaker. You're the teacher. You're the person who's going to present a message to a room full of rich people. And you're going to stand up and you're going to talk and you're going to say one thing, one truth, one command, one instruction to this room full of rich people and they'll do it. Whatever it is you say, if you say, rich people, I want you to do this, whatever that is, they'll do it. Or rich people, I want you to be this and they'll be it. What do you think it is you would say? What would it be? What one instruction that you, you were guaranteed that whatever you would say, whatever you would command, whatever you would order, they would do it. You give the command, they salute, and they'll do it. What would it be? I want you to take the next 45 seconds and turn to the person next to you and tell them what that would be. Go ahead. Okay, back up here. All right, I can't go on. I've got to find, I got to get, I got to hear, I got to overhear what you were talking about here. So somebody over here, what? Talk to me. Honor God with your riches. That'll preach. Okay, good. What else? Over here. What? Give me half your money. Yes. All right. Amen to that. Huh? That's right. Anybody else? What happened over here? What? What? It's okay. Go. What? Scott? Tithe. Yeah. That's a, Scott's going to be a preacher in the second half of his life. I like that. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Well, let me ask you something. So you picture yourself standing up and giving the message. Could you ever picture yourself actually in the group itself receiving the message? In other words, I'm, I want to know, do you see yourself as rich? In other words, you're sitting around the dinner table and you pass the potatoes to your 10-year-old and your 10-year-old says, Mom, Dad, are we rich? What do you say? How do you respond? Now, I, I heard a yes, and, and I understand that. And I also understand that we're in church, and the pastor never asks the question that he doesn't always know the answer to and what the right answer is supposed to be. Huh? So I hear you, okay? And I got to tell you something. That's really, it's not my knee-jerk response. It's not my knee-jerk response. Somebody says to me, are you rich? No, I'm a pastor. No, you know, <laughs> all right? And, and also, also, I've seen rich, okay? I've, seen, I've been down to Naples. I've taken the tour boat on that, you know, canal thing, and oh, 
Oh, yeah. I've been to Tulsa and at Southern Hills where they play U.S. Open and PGA. I'm telling you. Now, that's rich. That is rich. But me, uh-uh. Me rich? No. That's rich. And what does that mean? That means that typically when we think about this question, am I rich, I typically look up. I look up at the next shelf. I look up to see what, you know, people who make more or who spend more or have more, and I conclude, well, they're rich, I'm not, and, you know, and all, if all of us were to do that, if all of us were to do that, I mean, you'd have to be, what, Warren Buffett or Bill Gates to, you know, to, I mean, are you rich? Then I found a very interesting website, and if you receive my Friday email, I uh, referred to it. Uh, it's called globalrichlist.com, and it has some, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating education in terms of the, uh, this idea of rich, and let's pull it up. How rich are you? We gave enviously at the lists of the richest people in the world, wondering what it would be like to have that sort of cash. But where do you sit on those lists? So here's your chance to find out. Uh, let's go to, uh, so you go here and you get to this website and, and it has different currencies. Let's go U.S. since that's where we are. And let me tell you about the very first number that I'm going to pull in, all right? If you made minimum wage in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1977, minimum wage 1977 in Tulsa was $2.65 an hour. All right? And that's the Carter administration, by the way. So, long, all right, years ago. Now, if 265 an hour, you know, 40 hours a week, 50, et cetera, et cetera, the take home on that is this number, 5512. That's, I made $2.65 an hour at my first job at Frug's Department Store. And I didn't work full time, I was in school. But there were people there at Frug's who worked full time. And that's what they got, okay? And here is where you would be if you compare globally, all right? In today's dollars, 55.12, show me the money. You would be within the top 15% of the richest people in the world. That's just at 55.12. Think about that. All right, now let me show you a second number. Uh, 13700 $13,700. What's that number? That's how much my take-home was at my first job at, at, uh, at Harrison, Ohio, when I was a youth minister, okay, back in 1984. And where would that put me? That puts me within the top 13%, 12.51% of the richest people in the world, 13.7. That's back, in, that's back in 84, but that's today's dollars. Now let's plug in $30,000, $30,000. That was my take-home my first year here at Windsor Road. Back in, uh, when I was 27, I came here July of 89. That put me within the top, at 7.16, richest people in the world, okay? And, uh, and the last number here, don't mind sharing this, this is, this is my take-home now. How much is the preacher? Well, here it is, 68640. That's my take home. That's my, that, doesn't, that doesn't count my insurance or, or retirement, okay? That's just, that puts me in, within the, with, inside the top 1%, okay? And so now we go back to this question are you rich? Are you rich? 
And I look at that. And then I found this book. Uh, it's a photography book, photographer's book. It's called Hungry Planet. And it's uh, written, I think, by a guy named Peter Menzel. I think that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. According to Peter Menzel's Hungry Planet, here's a week's worth of food. Here's what a week's worth of food looks like if you live in Germany. Week's worth of food, that's what that looks like. Okay, uh, United States. Uh, Italy. Mexico. Poland. Egypt. Ecuador. Bhutan, and the country of Chad. Week's worth of food. We go back to the question. Back to the question. Are you rich? Are you rich? And I think about that internet site, Global Rich List, and I think about those pictures there. I'm rich. Guilty. I mean, I'm rich. I'm rich. And, and, and we, you know, we prayed about that last week, didn't we, in Psalm 67? We prayed, God, prosper me so that others will praise you. And when I, when I look at this, I, I come to the inescapable conclusion, God has prospered me. I pray that others will praise him because of his prosperity in my life. And some days I'm not sure about that, but I'm sure about this. God has prospered me. And I... God has prospered our nation. I didn't choose to be born in the U.S., but here I am. And God has prospered, I think, our community. And, and God has prospered our church. I mean, we are rich. We are. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Is there a word from God for rich Christians? Is there a word? Is there, does God have a word for prosperous believers, perhaps in a way that you know, would not be as applicable to Christians in Shavona Palana, Ukraine, or perhaps in the whole in the Dominican Republic, which is at once and the same time a, a residential neighborhood and a dump. One and the same time. Is there, is there a word for us that may be more applicable for us here in this room, here and now, than maybe for others? And the answer is yes, there is. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. 1 Timothy, one of two letters from the Apostle Paul to one of his lieutenants, one of his sons in the faith, young man by the name of Timothy, probably a 30-something young man, young man in the faith. Second Timothy is a more personal from Paul to Timothy. First Timothy is a, kind of a church health manual. And Paul sends Timothy to the city of Ephesus. I want you to make sure that place is healthy. And there's some unhealth there. And so, he talks about the need to make sure there's healthy leadership, healthy servant leadership, and, and uh, want to make sure that the relationships in the church are healthy between generations. Here, here's how older 
believers need to relate with younger believers. And here's how, what we need to do to take care of the widows. And then there are some doctrinal issues in 1 Timothy that absolutely need to be taken care of. And, and one of those doctrinal issues, there's false teaching going on, one of which has to do with this issue of money. So let's get healthy about how we view possessions and money. And so 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says to Timothy, you've got some teaching to do to some prosperous Christians. And I want to just talk about this. I specifically just want to talk about verse 17 today, the first word of which is the word command. Command, it's a military term. It means to give strict orders. It means to give authoritative instructions. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to go into this church. I want you to go in this area. You're going to be meeting with some prosperous believers, and you are to command. Now, think about that for a minute. If you know anything about 1 Timothy, earlier in that letter, Paul says to Timothy, do not let anyone look down upon you because you are so young, but set an example for the believers in speech and faith and life and love and in purity. And don't you let yourself be intimidated by the prosperous believers, believers who are wealthier than you. Isn't that true? I mean, have you ever not been in a situation where you've kind of found yourself intimidated or you feel like you're kind of outgunned because, you know, you're looking at people and you're seeing all of this around them and you just, you know, kind of feel inadequate and I was just, should I, do I even deserve to be here? Paul says, look, you know, with the love of God in your heart and the fire of the Holy Spirit in your spirit, you stand toe to toe and you say, God has a word for prosperous people Prosperous believers, command them, Timothy. Command them. Now, I don't know how the Ephesian believers took that back then, but I can tell you, I don't know how Americans do with this word command because I, I just don't sense that we like to be told what to do. We're freedom lovers. We're liberty lovers. And have someone come in and command, you know, and I know, any, you, know you may be here for the first time and, oh, the preacher's talking about money because he wants my billfold and this and that. I understand all of that. And, but nonetheless, you know, Paul says to Timothy, command them, command them. And, and we just kind of shrink back from that because we want to, we want to have our say and, and, and we want to dialogue and we want to come to consensus and agreement. And we kind of we like our religion like that too. So we just, you know, me and God, we got together and we talked and, and he understood how I feel about things. And so we had a dialogue and then at the end we reached, you know, a, a joint consensus. Me and God, we sure did. Sure you did. Yeah. Listen, Christianity is not dialogue and consensus. It's monologue and repentance. That's what it is, okay? I mean, there's a God, and you're not him. Listen to what he has to say. This is in charge, and you're not. And here's the deal with that. Who loves you the most? Who loves you the most? I mean, Parents, we know this. this. This routine gets repeated over and over, isn't it? We're, we're with our children or we're with our grandchildren. 
And we give, you, we give them a command, you know, and they kind of just resist back and just, you know, I love you, the, loves you the most. I want to tell you what to do. It will go well for you if you do this because I love you the most. I have your benefit in mind. And, and then, of course, you know, they do it. And then they find, wow, that worked out really well. Wow, Dad, you were right. I know. And we who are children of the Heavenly Father, we sometimes resist, don't we? And then when we do obey and we find, wow, wow, God, your way, your way really does work. Wow, you really know what you're doing. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm all-knowing and all-powerful. Yeah, you're right. Command. 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 Command what? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now, that's not unreasonable, is it? That's not an unreasonable command. Those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant. A word of the New Testament originally came to us by way of the Greek language. And the word arrogant really is a kind of a compound word, which means you know, high and minded, high and high, thinking highly. Being high-minded, uh, big-headed, egotistical, conceited. That's what we're talking about. And how easy it is for prosperous believers to kind of get deceived into the notion that because you know, they have a lot of this, it's just all of a sudden kind of just makes me feel a little, you know, come across with airs over people. And, 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 and I can look down on people because I'm high-minded. Scripture warns against that. And I need to hear this in my life because I had, I have issues with this in my life. And let me explain. Um, grew up in Tulsa. My father, my mother, my mom and dad, um, they sent my brothers and me to, uh, to, to an elite private school in Tulsa, uh, Holland Hall School, a shirt and tie school growing up. You know, I had three choices of shirts to wear, button-down collar, blue, white, or yellow. That was it. And uh, khaki, navy, or camel-colored pants, and uh, uh, dress shoes, and a tie. That was, that was an easy decision. That was it, every day. Anything in that combination, that's what you had to wear, period. And so, uh, and an excellent education, excellent education. Uh, I was looking the other day, to go to Holland Hall today in Tulsa, just the tuition uh, for high school, $15,000 a year. That's $5,000 a year more than the U of I. I don't see how my parents were able to do that uh, because my, you know, my dad wasn't rich. But see, but there again, I'm comparing again, aren't I? Because I'm thinking, well, we was rich enough to send us, and, but comparatively, we always like to look up at the next shelf. And so we went to this elite school and, I'm embarrassed to have to tell you this, but I go back to my youth group at church. High-minded. You know, self-promoting. And that kind of followed me on to college, thinking that, you know, I went to Cincinnati Bible College and Seminary and, and that I had come from Holland Hall, Hoha, you know. And so here's, you know, I come into this and I feel like I'm going to cut above. Cut above. And, and you say, well, Randy, how, how did that work its way out? It's a slow death is what it is. It's been a slow death. And, and here's how it's worked out 
now it's like, okay, years, years later here I am, and my, I'm 46, and I've got my classmates from Holland Holidays who have gone on, some of them, to really more lucrative jobs. And so I think to myself, okay, all right, with what I got at Holland Hall, I, I went into the ministry to serve God while they went into the greedy marketplace, you know. <laughs> That's twisted. That assumes that being in the marketplace is, is not a place where you can serve God, and that also assumes that you think you have the gifts that you could excel like they did in the marketplace. And, you know, so first it's like, okay, you're being arrogant because you went to this school, and then you're being arrogant because you feel like you went to a place where you're really sacred and serve God and other places are greedy or not. And you're, you're just evil, you may be thinking. Yeah, can I get an amen on that, you know? I uh, didn't mean you to answer that. Amen. So, it's just... But that's the word that Paul says to Timothy. We really have to be careful because this can kind of delude us into thinking that we're somebody we're not. We, we start looking at other folks who maybe not have had the experiences we've had or we, we find ourselves impatient. And why don't they, you know, why isn't everybody like me? Everybody's not like you. Everybody's not. Go to globalrichlist.com. Stick in your salary. You'll figure that out. Everybody is not like you. And, and before long, if we're not careful, we'll buy into the delusion that I am what I have. And that's dangerous. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you lost everything today in a fire and everything was lost and just you, it would not change who you are on the inside. It would not because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And when you buy into that, then what happens is, you know, you start piling on and on and on and then it's like you, it's like, it's like getting a snowmaking machine, a snowmaking machine for the peak of Mount Everest, just to make sure your bases are covered. And that's a no-way winning situation. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Let me ask you something. Think of a number in your mind right now. What number, how much would it take for you to feel totally financially secure for the rest of your life? What would that be? What would that amount be? What would it take? So that you wouldn't need Social Security, you wouldn't need pension. If you just had this hunk of money right here, you would never have to, whatever, what, what is that number in your mind? Don't shout it out, but what is it, huh? Whatever you're thinking right now, you know what the answer to that question is? The answer to that question is more than you currently have, whatever it is. Because whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. This too is meaningless. And I can't help but go back up a few verses where Paul says to Timothy, that, that very familiar verse, but also a very misunderstood and mispronounced and misread verse, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that the love of money is the root. Of, it doesn't say that, excuse me, it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It says that the love of money is a root. There are others of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And why? Because Paul says that it's a, you, you're going to hurt yourself because, you know, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Not only can we get this stuff on the inside of us, thinking that what we have is who we are, and then we start thinking highly of ourselves compared to others, but we begin to lean on this. And rest on this and put our hope on this. And so we write and we prepare and we get our portfolio ready so that we can make tenure at the university and where it looks like we're going to make it. We stake our personhood, our very existence just on that. And then what happens? The committee comes back and says, no. And you realize, I've put my hope in something uncertain. Or you're leaning on your position. You're thinking, okay, if I just slug it out, if I, can, I can get managing partner, and man, wouldn't that be something. And to get all the perks, and, and I can have my name on the door, and I can be in the special, and you're leaning on that. You find yourself leaning on that. And then just when it's in your grasp, what happens? The firm gets sold to someone else. And then you realize, I've been putting my hope in something. I've been leaning in that which is uncertain. You scrap and save for the empty nest years. And then once you get it, you know, you're leaning on it and resting on it. And then you find out one day that your adult children go AWOL. And they start making dumb, poor, unwise decisions. How much money is going to fix that? How much? Or you start realizing, okay, I'm just going to be a you know, cutting-edge industry leader in my vocation, in my business, whether it's marketplace or whether it's ministry, and your marriage shrivels to a hardened reason. And you realize you've put your hope in something uncertain, and it's just not going to hold up. Jesus said you can't serve God and stuff. You can't. That's what the word mammon means in the Randy Boltinghouse version. Stuff. Stuff. You cannot serve God and stuff. Now, he could have said anything he wanted to, couldn't he? Have? He could have said you cannot serve God and Satan. Right? He could have said that, but he didn't say that. Well, stuff, stuff is, you know... That, that stuff, it, it, it is satanic. No, 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 no. No, Paul's going to make the point here later on that God provides us with everything. God is the source. But what happens is Satan takes what is good from God and he twists it. He twists it. And you know, it wouldn't be an issue if we, weren't, if we were poor. We wouldn't, this wouldn't be an issue. But we're not. We're prosperous. And so Paul says in Timothy, look, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but what? To put their hope, lean on, trust, depend on God. Depend upon God. Do you hear what Paul is saying to Timothy to tell the prosperous believers? He wants them to say in no uncertain terms, he wants them to command them, I will not trust in the gifts. I will trust the giver. 
I'm going to trust the giver, not the gifts. I will not lean on riches. Rather, I will lean on the one who richly provides. He's the one, and notice it says that he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God doesn't give us this stuff and then make us feel guilty because we have it. He, give, he gives us this stuff because he wants us to enjoy it. So we have the gift that he gives and then the ability to enjoy the gift. And you know what? They're two different gifts. They're two di- <laughs> One's the can and the other's the can opener. And you've got to have God. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5.19, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions, there's the gift, and enables him to enjoy them. That's a gift too, you see? And you cannot get the gift of enjoying stuff if you don't have God. You can try. But you're not going to get into that container without the can opener. And so Paul tells to Timothy to tell the prosperous believers in Ephesus, and I believe in Champaign, I will not trust in riches. Rather, I will trust in the one who richly provides. Now, how do I know if, who I'm trusting? Huh? How do I know if I'm trusting in the gift or trusting in the giver? How do I know? Here are some questions for you to think about. Question number one, which brings you more emotional security, a full bank account or an empty tomb? Which causes you more anxiety? The statement, there is no God or there's no money in the bank. Do you have money in the bank, but you don't have peace in your heart? That may be an indicator. How hard is it to do the right thing even when it costs you money? How hard is it? And then I think the the clincher question, which is really what we've been talking about this morning, who is it you really feel is responsible for all that you have. I mean, in your heart of heart, you know, who do you really believe? Who is it that you really believe that is responsible for all you have? You, you think, okay, this church is just kind of, you know, religion's the opiate of the masses, and okay, that's fine. It's kind of a neat thing and all that, but I mean, but no, I'm really responsible. Or do you really believe that there's a God in heaven who richly provides everything for us to enjoy? What do you, what do you really believe? Huh? The title of this message was Daddy's Monte Carlo. Let me explain that. My dad and mom, in addition to sending us to Holland Hall, (laughs) when we were seniors in high school, my dad bought each of us a brand spanking new Monte Carlo. I mean, I can't believe it. I think about it, you know. And I tell my boys this story, and then I say, don't even think about it, <laughs> okay? Just don't, don't even think about it, all right, really. Oh, yeah, keep praying. <laughs> keep praying. Go ahead. Yeah. So there was mine. Happens to be on, on our wedding day. So anyway, there it is. That's what my brothers did to it. 20 pounds of bird seed. So here we go. We're taking this brand spanking new Monte Carlo to Hoha, Holland Hall. And they've got a couple of different parking lots. There's a lot for the sophomores, a lot for the juniors, a lot for the seniors. Back in the back are the sophomores. Then there's the juniors. And then and up front, of course, is the faculty, okay? 
And it's really interesting. I mean, it's really, because there I have my brand spanking new Monte Carlo, but see, like I said, my dad wasn't rich. <laughs> I saw some rich cars. Some of my friends, they were doing the BMW stuff, you know, and the Mercedes stuff. So it's interesting. So we're walking from the parking lot up to the building, and we've got to go through the faculty parking lot. And the faculty folks are, they're driving beaters. So the kids have better cars than their teachers, okay? Just kind of an ironic twist thing, because they've given themselves to this vocation of teaching and in this particular location, which doesn't really pay that great. That's why they're, you know, why they're driving beaters. And so, so they're in the faculty lounge, the teachers are going, like, can you hear that over the conversation? Wow, <laughs> wow. Do you see Bolting House's brand spanking new Monte Carlo? Do you see that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, my Latin teacher. You know, can you believe that? And, and then my geometry teacher says, oh, yeah, what a hardworking, industrious young man. Wow. Wow. No. Ah, this daddy's Monte Carlo. Daddy bought that. Daddy bought that for Randy, just like Daddy bought one for Robbie. And just like Daddy's going to buy one for Ricky. Robbie, Randy, and Ricky in their three Monte Carlos. Yeah, sweet, Daddy, sweet. They knew that. And for me to come to school like, yeah, I got this. This is mine. And yeah, yeah, well, I put the gas in it, and I clean it. And I changed the oil in it, but the title's not in my name. It's in Daddy's name. And church family, it's really no different today. It really isn't. From heaven's perspective, everything you have belongs to God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. It belongs to Dad. So there's no need for us to lean on this, and there's no need for us to put on airs because it all belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to him. Now, how can, we, how can I get that down? Well, you know what? I just got a little take-home card for you in your bulletin. It says transfer of title. You can do this with your spouse or maybe do this with your small group. As of today, I hereby acknowledge God's ownership of me and all my money. And instead of seeing myself as the ultimate recipient, I'll see myself as God's delivery boy and girl, enjoying what he intends to keep and distributing what he intends to go elsewhere. I mean, who's going to reinforce this truth? Will you take this and keep it in your journal or your Bible or stick it in the mirror in your bathroom so that you see it? Transfer of title. I'm going to do my utmost to ask him and prayerfully consider how he wishes to me invest assets in, in the furtherance of his kingdom. And I realize, listen, I will surrender certain temporary earthly treasures but gain in exchange eternal treasures as well as increased perspective and decreased anxiety. Listen, this, the anxiety stuff is true. When God, I'm not God, my stuff's not God, God is God. And when that gets taken care of first, and I realize who I am and I realize who this stuff is, and peace follows. Peace follows. Because we do serve a God, the one who had the title to everything, he gave it up to come here. And to die for our sins. Which is why 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're rich. Amen. God, thank you so much for your goodness and generosity. We love you. And as we receive communion now, we remember you, Jesus. We remember you that you surrendered the perks of paradise, put on human flesh, and to serve us. Thank you. Give us the strength and the wisdom and the heart and the faith to trust and lean and put our hope on you so that we'll know what to do with the stuff you've entrusted, your stuff, to our care. Thank you.